Welcome to I'll Start Monday, a podcast that discusses issues that affect us all, from mental health and well-being to finances and careers, but which we have a tendency to put on the long finger. Every day in Ireland, more than 200 people give up smoking, and with Nicorette, you could join them. Join the quitters with Nicorette, clinically proven to help you quit for good. Based on Healthy Ireland 2021, Nicorette contains nicotine, stop smoking aid, requires willpower. Always read the label. This week we're going to talk about a sensitive subject that inevitably touches us all at some stage, bereavement and loss. It's not usually something we're comfortable discussing and yet the effect on our lives can be incredibly profound. So maybe it's time for us to open up that conversation and see how we can help ourselves and others during these times of great sorrow. To help us, we're joined by Sinead Hingston-Green. After experiencing unthinkable tragedy in her own life, Sinead has gone on to help others deal with the pain of losing a loved one. Sinead, you're very welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for coming today to share your story and experience with our listeners. How are you today? I'm good. You're Thank good. you for having me. Well, well, as I said, thanks for coming. Uh, first of all, we'll start off with yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what it is you do. Um, well, face value, I am your average mom of three. Um, I have a 10 year old, a four year old and a four month old. Um, so lovely dynamics in my house, lots of hormones. Um, and yeah, I was working up until I went to maternity leave in November and I dapple in a bit of photography. So tell us about the Instagram page. Um, it started off like everybody else's, I think. I'll rewind a few years. So back in 2010, I actually set it up in 2010, weirdly enough. Um, my very first photos are of myself and my then husband. I think we were on a ski trip. I think it's one of our first photos on it. Um, and then I didn't post again for a few months. But yeah, we had the most amazing beginning of a relationship that you can think of. You meet, you kind of fall in love. Everything's amazing and you just, everything falls into place very easily. And this is Jeff. This is Jeff. Yeah, sorry, I didn't even say that. That's okay. No. <laughs> this is Jeff. Um, so yeah, I met Jeff and... Tell us a little bit about Jeff. Oh, God, he was just an amazing guy. I met him in the most random of situations. I used to work in a school um, and I met his sister in that school and she actually asked me would I mind babysitting her children one afternoon, became their babysitter and then there was one weekend that they asked me to babysit on Saturday night because her brother was over from the UK and they were all going into town and I said yeah no problem and you know arrived at the house and he answered the door and I was like oh dear god who is this guy. When I say there was like an instant chemistry the second he opened the front door I was like I might sound like a weirdo but I feel like I'm going to marry this guy I just I don't know I don't know what it was an instant spark it all just started from there so we moved in together he moved over to Ireland quite soon after we met and we moved in together like I think three months after we started to date properly that Christmas then we went to Lapland and yeah, it was two days of just, let's go to the Ice Hotel in Lapland. And he asked me to marry him when we were there. So we got engaged December 20, no, 2009. Sorry, feels like a lifetime ago now. Got married. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and then the following day, we flew off on honeymoon. So we were going to the Maldives, which was just like insane. Like never, ever in my lifetime thought that I'd get to the Maldives. But yeah, we just had the most amazing time. We were due to be there for, I think, two and a half weeks but sadly, six days in, we unfortunately got the phone call that his mum had actually passed away in her sleep. Oh, no. And it was it was devastating. Like the place went from heaven to absolute hell. We couldn't get off the island because the boat that takes people off had left the day before. 
So we had to wait a couple of days to get off the island. So yeah, we flew back to London. We had to literally empty up our cases, turn them upside down and get winter clothes because it's January back into the cases, get back to Ireland. Thankfully, they they waited for us. Um, so, you know, we got to say our goodbyes. And I'll, I'll never forget, we were standing at her grave the day before we were due to go back to the UK and Jeff was just standing there and he's like, so mum, you know, you know, we've decided, you know, we're going to start trying for a baby. And I'm standing there beside him going, Oh, okay. Have we? Yeah, okay. And we had kind of toyed with the idea when we were on honeymooners and talked about it, but he was so like, no, no, we need to sit down, we need to figure finances, we need to figure out where we're going to live, you know, just Jeff-like, you know, the to-do list. And then all of a sudden, 13th of January, he was like, yeah, mum, I think, I think we're going to start talking I've about it. I've thought about it. I was like, okay. i thought about it. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> so yeah, I literally stopped taking the pill that day. I was like, fuck it, let's give this a bash, see what happens. And in March, I found out I was pregnant. So yes, we decided that a summer holiday was probably going to be a little bit spoilies. Um, so my mum and dad were going to Portugal for, they were going for two weeks. Um, and mum said, look, this place is massive. Why don't you yourself and Jeff just book flights and come over and stay with us and then it'll save you a few quid. So we flew from Bristol and flew to Portugal. So we invited his dad as well because obviously his mum wasn't around for him to holiday with and he came over so met him in Faro. It was a lovely week considering how busy life had been. And yes, yeah, so we decided to go on a boat trip on the Sunday and it was one of those boats that you go on along the caves in the Algarve. Oh, yeah. The, the captain said, look, if you want to jump in for a swim, go for it. It got really cold, which is just really weird. So I was sitting there with the towel around me because there was just this coldness in the air. And I was like, what is going on with the weather? Um, so Jeff was toying with the idea because he was like, I'm dry now and my shorts are dry. But if I jump into the water, I'm going to be wet and then I'm going to be sitting on the dinghy wet. And it's actually kind of cold all of a sudden. But me being me was like, baby, if you don't get in here now, you're going to regret it. Like, look where we are. We're in the middle of the most amazing part of the world. Like, just jump in. There was two men and two little girls had already gotten in. So he decided he would jump in. And like, when I think back now, I'm like, why did I just keep my mouth shut and just let him not get into the water? But anyway, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, he jumped in. He swam around quite happily for five or six minutes. I was snapping away with the camera. Um, so there's loads of photographs of him swimming around. And then... Whatever happened, there's 40 seconds of a gap in the in the photos. And I, I remember really clearly, like one of the little girls had jumped in and grabbed onto her dad and he had shouted at her. And this was all going on in the water. So mom and I being women were like, oh God, what's going on down there? And we took our eyes off Jeff for that 40 seconds. And then I turned around and I started taking photos of him again. And that's when I realized that he wasn't okay. And he was lying on his back, staring at the sky. His mouth was wide open. Um, and his left hand was like flicking. It was like he was in a starfish kind of position. Um, his left hand was flicking like mad. And I was like, Mom, what's he doing? And Mom was like, oh, he does that in the pool all the time, which he did. Like he was trying to teach me how to float in the pool and I never can. My arse is far too heavy. So he was in exactly the same kind of position that he would have been in. But I was like, Mom, he's not. He doesn't look OK. Like, look at his face. And so then we started calling him and he wasn't answering. And I then... Like, I'm not a hysterical person, as in my voice is quite deep, as you can tell. So, like, I was shouting at him and the captain was like, why are you shouting? And I said, my husband, there's something wrong with my husband. He's not answering me. And it, it just seemed to take him forever. Like, this was all happening within seconds. But yeah. I felt like it's five minutes. Like, you know what I mean? It was all happened within a minute. Um. So then I started shouting at one of the guys in the water to go over to him because Jeff had gone from that position face down into the water. So he had gone over and kind of poked him. And I was like, lift his head out of the water. He's drowning. Like, get his head out of the water. And like, still to this day, I don't know why I didn't jump in. I don't know what stopped me. Like, we were on a fairly big boat. So like, we were fairly high up. To, you know what I mean? It just felt like I wouldn't have been okay had I jumped in. Mm. Um, it's probably, uh, you were probably 
the right thing to not do. Or yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like hindsight's a wonderful yeah. thing, but yeah, I don't know what I would have done because he was a big guy. He was six mm. three. I don't know what I would have done had I jumped in. I wouldn't have been able to hold him up anyway. Um, so with it, it all just seemed that the dinghy was coming out of the caves randomly, just by chance at the same time that all of this was going on. So they dragged Jeff up onto the dinghy. Um, I was shouting them to let me on as well, and they wouldn't. So that was one of my biggest grievances, I think, with the whole unfolding of it all. Um, and they just left. They just left and went back to Albufeira with him and left myself, mom and his dad on the main boat. And I just remember sitting there going like, is this some sort of joke? Like, is he fine? And he's just had, I don't know, some sort of seizure. Has he been stung by a jellyfish and he's having a reaction to it? You know, we just didn't actually know just what was going know. on. Yeah. And he was, when I say dead weight, when they were lifting him onto, there was no sign of life when they were lifting him onto the boat. And my mum was trying to shield me from seeing it all, which I can completely understand now. But at the time, I was like, no, mum, I need to be with them. Oh, I'll just take a breath. So okay, we take your time. Um, we got back to the marina. They actually didn't come back to get us for an hour and 40 minutes. So in that time, we were, my dad hadn't come on the trip with us. He was back in the villa. So we were phoning him to try and get him to go to the marina and I'll be fair to meet the ambulance guys or whoever was going to be there. Um, But obviously he wasn't beside his phone. So it was like frantically trying to call him. Then we, we even rang my brother in Ireland to get him to ring the reception of the place we were staying to get them to knock on the door of the villa we were staying in to get dad. Like it was just the pieces that you're trying to get somebody there. Um, so we finally got through to that and like my brother's like what's going on I was like I actually don't know I actually I don't know what's going on I just need you to do this for me and he was like yeah okay 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 so they came back for us and I think when the dinghy came back there was nobody on us and I think that was the first sign for me that something wasn't right Um, because why wouldn't they have brought those people back to the trip that they were on for the day yeah. Um, so myself mum and his dad got on the boat and we were brought back to the marina and Jeff wasn't there it was all very strange and the Main ambulance guy, I literally ran like a shot off the boat and up the, the jetty to go. There was an ambulance at the top um, and he just said, oh, who are you? And I said, I'm his wife. And I said, where is he? And he said, oh, I just need to ask you a few questions. And I was like, right, OK, but like, where's Jeff? And he just he kept ignoring my question and he sat me down in the ambulance and he said, you know, did he hit his head? I was like, no, he was swimming around fine. Like he was grand. And, you know, was he drinking this morning? And I was like, are you only asking me that because I'm Irish? Like we left at nine o'clock this morning. Like we were hardly locked getting on a boat with this pregnant wife. Think about it. Like, so he started to really annoy me because I was like, can you just tell me where he is? And I fully expected to see him with an oxygen mask on laughing. Mm -hmm. Like genuinely was expecting to be able to take the piss out of my husband. Um, so he just kind of, he put his hand on my knee and I was like, and he said, you know, uh, when your husband came, we worked on him for a long time. And I was like, all right, okay. And like, is he, is he okay? Like, is he, where is he? Um, and he said, you know, I'm really sorry, but he didn't make it. And I was like, he didn't make it to where? Like, what, what, what do you mean he didn't make it? And he said, um, you know, he didn't make it. We weren't able to revive him. And I literally, I just remember the feeling of black. It just started at the top of my head and just came down and I all the blood just drained from my body and I ended up passing out. I just remember pushing him out of the way and trying to get out of the ambulance to get some air. Um, and I ended up falling head first outside of the ambulance. So when I came to again, I was on the stretcher hooked up to a drip. Um, and I had like a gash in my knee and a little cut in my head and I was just going, what is going on? And I remember like horrifically and I'll never forget it, but my mom just screaming, no, 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 please, God, no. Um, so 
I was still saying to him, like, I really just want to go and sit with my husband. Can you tell him where he is? Or tell me where he is. And he said, you know, we need to get you to hospital. And I was like, no, I just want to be with Jeff. And he just looked at me and he said, how would you feel if you lost your husband and your baby in the same day? And I was like, what? It's like, I just want to sit with them. I just want to go and sit with them. But they wouldn't let me. So I, they brought me then to, I think it was Farrow Hospital they brought me to. Um, So I had a scan and obviously everything was fine. You know, baby was perfect. Um, And then she gave me like 10 milligrams of diazepam and I took it and I, honestly couldn't tell you what happened for the rest of that day I just have no recollection um, the following, I, I remember a lot of coming to and kind of sitting there with people around me like his sister and brother arrived over my brother and sister, my younger brother stayed at home to do everything at home um, my older brother and sister came over so there was just all of a sudden instead of there just being Jeff and I in the house that day, everybody else was there without him and it was just really like just unbelievable, I mean it's the only way to describe it um, so we spent the next four days shouting at people down the phone. Well, two days, we still didn't know where he was, which was the ridiculous part. They wouldn't tell us what hospital they'd taken him to. Um, so it wasn't until the Tuesday that they finally said he's in Portimao. So I was like, right, OK, at least, Jesus, like, finally, we know where he is. Um, and they just kept saying, like, you know, we have a lot of paperwork to fill out. And I was like, he's not a bank transaction. Mm. Like, I just want to go and sit with my husband. Yeah. All I want to do, yeah. like... So it took them two days to actually tell us where he was. So the funeral services international... Literally, when you have travel insurance, they do everything. So if you're thinking of not paying that 30 euro going on a trip for a weekend or a week or whatever it takes, I can tell you now, spend it because everything was done by them. The consulate didn't even have to get involved because I had travel insurance. Um, So we finally went on the Tuesday. It was meant to be lunchtime. Then it kept, they kept pushing it out, pushing it out, pushing it out. And finally, at about half five, we managed to land in Portimao um, and over to the morgue which was just, again, unreal. Like, um, And I just remember saying to him, his best mate was there as well. So I grabbed his hand and I said, right, I'm going to keep my eyes closed. And if it's him, just squeeze my hand. Like, I'm not actually going to walk in here with my eyes open because I'm really thinking that they've made some horrific mistake. Um, so pushed open the door and lo and behold, got that little squeeze. And I just, it was just surreal. Like, opened my eyes and he was just, lying there, like a room kind of this size, fairly big, white walls and this laid out on this horrific table in front of me. And he just looked perfect, I have to say. He was just, you know, peacefully sleeping, as I keep telling myself now. Um, and and I suppose for you as well, confirmation. It was horrific, yeah. There's no kind of, not, you know, pretending that it's not happening. Exactly. And there was no more, just give me another 10 milligrams of diazepam yeah. there and I'll get through the next few days. Um, so yeah, I was obviously in a very bad place that evening and um, the doctor had to be called out again. And I, it was tricky, but I suppose in a way a blessing in disguise that I was pregnant. Like I couldn't take many drugs. I couldn't drink. I couldn't smoke. I was, you know, I'd given up smoking just before I got pregnant with Lily. So I couldn't do any of those things at the time. It's all I wanted to do yeah, was it give yeah. me all of the drugs, yeah. all of the alcohol and give me all of the cigarettes. But looking back, it was a complete blessing in disguise that I couldn't. So I really had to lean on everyone around me to get me through and phone calls back and forth to my doctor, just my mum being like, right, you know, I don't want to keep giving her. I think I, I took the diazepam the first day. And again, when the doctor came out on the Tuesday evening, I think he gave me more. But after that, like my doctor was like, let's not get her into this. She has to face this. This yeah. is her reality. Like we can't keep numbing her. She has to actually feel 
this horrific thing for now and we'll all get her through the next few weeks but unfortunately pills are not going to take this away from the pain of it all. Which is exactly what you'd want. In, at oh my time. God, yeah. all you want. You just want something to inject you with a numbing medicine just to get you through but you're going to have to face it at some stage mm. and this is the problem. Um, so we finally got him home on the Thursday night, very late on the Thursday night and Aer Lingus were just outstanding. I can't even... I can't praise them enough. Um, they had a standing, over, they had all the, the crew on the steps, like a standing ovation as such, if you know, like mm. a guard of honor. Guard of honor, mm. sorry, no standing ovation. Um, as we were walking onto the plane and they just, they just looked after us so well, like incredibly so. Um, and then yeah, we landed in Dublin airport and there was loads of people there, but I, like loads of family and friends, but I just remember being like, sorry, I have to go, I have a job to do, like I have to go to Jeff now and get him ready for, his funeral and you know it was all very much like this is my to-do list um so we drove from there got escorted out to the morgue at the airport and like to this day i drive into dublin airport and you'll see us the big sign for mortuary and i just can picture myself coming around that corner from the garage from terminal one i think was the time i don't think terminal two was there was it um and coming around the corner and driving in to the morgue into the cargo place to collect them it was just you couldn't write it um so quinn's were just amazing as well. That was the funeral directors we actually used for his mums as well. So they knew me and they knew Jeff and they just they were just outstanding again. I was so lucky with the people that that actually got me through. Um so we went out to Glass Tool um and got him into the coffin that I had chosen for him on a laptop in Portugal. Like again, couldn't write it. Um and then we brought him back to my mum and dad's house because I didn't want him I had been away from him for so long I just wanted him with me. So we had him in the sitting room in my mum and dad's for the two days before, not even two days, it was Thursday night, we got him home late. Um, then we had all day Friday for everybody to arrive. So all his friends arrived over from the UK. We had his funeral on the Saturday morning, um, on the 6th of August, never forget it. And then life became very different from there on in. I was back living at home, mum and dad. I had to go back over to the UK two days later, or two weeks later, um, to pack up our house in the UK because I had just obviously not gone back from Portugal so I had to contact the landlord who again was incredible and he was like look Jesus don't be worrying about anything just get here whenever you can and pack up the house and we'll figure the rest out so all of his friends in the UK were amazing came and helped us pack our life into boxes and they came back to Dublin and put into storage and that's actually where they stayed for nearly six years but um, yeah then it was very much So you arrived back home with the dog and Oh the dog and myself and like even People laughed at me with Kobe. Like I let him into the room where Jeff was and I let him up to sniff the coffin and sniff Jeff in. And like my mum was like, just be careful. And I was like, mum, he needs to do this. Like, yeah. I know you don't think that they know, but I think they do know. And I, I genuinely think he knew because he didn't leave my side. He was just, I just felt almost like Jeff in him. You know, that kind of way. I was like, this is a little Jeff now has just turned into Kobe. He's now my my man um, they do they, I mean, they do they do, they do mind you they do sense oh, that they do know yeah, the yeah. comfort like, yeah. so he was sleeping in my bed with me every night like just to have somebody there with me um, but we had a pretty horrific few weeks after that like my two best friends two of my bridesmaids um, one of their fathers died six weeks after Jeff and then three weeks after that my other bridesmaid her younger brother commits suicide so we had nine weeks of non-stop funerals grief pain Cups of tea, can't tell you. Barry's tea, I should have shares in them at this stage. Like, <laughs> we called my parents' house morning headquarters at one point because it was just ridiculous. Like, we just used to sit there planning the next funeral. 
Um, what were you thinking around that time? Like, how were you? It was one of those, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Yeah. Like, I still to this day have a pretty dark sense of humor about the whole experience. Um, and thankfully, so do my best friends. And I genuinely believe that that carried us through a little bit, just almost taking the piss out of the ridiculousness of those few weeks. Um, but in a weird way, it was almost like I gained the experience from Jeff dying then I could kind of help carry a little bit. And then the two of us gained the experience of losing like a dad and a husband and then we could help Sarah a little bit. So when I say like we were like magnets together carrying each other through those weeks, it was just like, I don't know, it was just horrific. I mean, if I wrote it in a book, people would be like, that never happened. Mm. That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. And three very different deaths, you know, like Jeff's was sudden. Obviously, Peter was very sudden as well, but in a different way. Um, and Carrie's dad had been sick, but we still didn't expect him to die. So it was... It was just ridiculous. Um, and yeah, so then life, very much, you know yourself, you know, everyone's there in the weeks after and then everybody's life goes back to the way their life was, but yours has taken a massive turn and you really have to try and adjust to new ways and new new circles, new people, new everything because everything changes. Because it, it, it seems to me like when the excitement for want of a better word, is over. And as you say, the funerals are over and everybody goes back to, that's when you're, I mean, does it, does it, re, is there another wave then or? Of grief. Y yeah. Or, oh does, God, or yeah. does it just really, is that where it just really it starts? Sets in. Yeah. You like, know. I suppose you're so numb in the first kind of week or so and everyone is rallying around you. So you kind of feel like you're being lifted and carried. And then as like imagine 10 people carrying you and then all of a sudden two of those people are gone. There's eight people carrying you and you're carrying a little bit more yourself. And then slowly but surely all of those people go back to their own life and you're left to carry yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. I've never had to carry myself. My friends, my family are incredible and I've never felt alone ever. Um, But you do have to adjust to life and you have a whole new wave of grief and grieving and trying to get through Literally, like when I say minute by minute, like I'm not lying, literally minute by minute, one day, the next day, it might be hour by hour. You just have to build it all back up again. Um, living at home with my parents was hard. I was 30 years old, you know, like love my parents, but I didn't need to be living with them, you know. But yeah, it, it was really tough. Yeah, because also, I mean, as long, along with the grief, then I suppose you're grieving for a person, but you're grieving for another life. You're Absolutely. grieving for the plans you had. They're all gone. You know, all the, the hopes and, I'm and and you're pregnant so and I'm, almost like, what about what What do I do now? Or, you know, the future looks a lot bleaker, probably, or, you know, absolutely. So, I mean, so how how pregnant were you? So I was 19 weeks the day he died um, and she arrived 19 weeks to the day later. So she arrived on a Sunday as well. So it was kind of like me going, right, that's Jeff's way of saying stop dreading a Sunday. You know, Sunday's actually a good day now, not a bad day anymore. Okay. It was amazing when she arrived. Don't get me wrong. It was the most bittersweet moment of my entire life. There was elation and absolute devastation in the same, if you can even describe it as the same emotion. That's exactly how I felt. You know, I, she was the spitting image of him. And I, was, <laughs> I was just lying there going, oh my God, I now have like a mini Jeff for the rest of my life. I didn't know what I was having, which was quite nice because I was actually afraid that I was going to have a boy, which might sound weird, but I didn't want, I didn't, where I was at, I didn't want a mini Jeff. I just mm. needed it to be a girl, I suppose. Psychologically, that's where I was at. And I got, you know, massive help with the mental health services in Hollow Street. I had a rough kind of 
12 weeks after she got here, I had to have surgery again the following March because of the delivery. So it was a hard kind of, I suppose, entry into motherhood. I didn't have him. My mum was him. So she stepped into Jeff's shoes. Thankfully, I was living at home, I suppose, at the time. So she was there the whole time. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of nights of, you know, screaming, crying, both of us, Lily and me. Lily was really colicky. Um, so we just had a lot of weeks of screaming, crying. And I was just like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I just needed a really sleepy baby. You know, I just needed peace and quiet to try and adjust to this. But I just think it made me stronger in a weird way. Um, I didn't face any of my grief in the first year. I don't think I, I saw two or three counsellors and hated them. Not hated them as a person, sorry, yeah, yeah, if you're yeah, listening. Hated, yeah, hated the idea of it and I didn't enjoy sitting and talking to them. I was like, this is, I'm not getting anything out of this. I started to kind of dread doing it and I was like, that's not right. I should be looking forward to going and getting this off my chest. So I went back to work um, the September after Jeff died. So he, Lily was nine months old um, and I went back part time. So I was doing one to five every day and that's when I had my biggest meltdown. So it was... I started in September and that Halloween, I hadn't been well, I had strep throat. So obviously I was so run down, not looking after myself. I, when I say I loved student nights on a Wednesday when I was not a student, like my friend, myself, my friend Ruth used to go out on a Wednesday night. I'd come in and I'm really sorry to the people that I worked with, but I used to go into work then with very little sleep in the afternoon. But I just went through this cycle of, I was able to drink then. So I went out and I had the best crack and then I'd come home and I'd have an hour's kip and I'd get up, have a shower, go into work. It was so unhealthy. It was so bad for me. And mentally and physically, I was starting to decline. So I was starting to get sick all the time. I had really bad strep throat, had gone into work um, and in the car park started to have a panic attack. Now, I had had regular panic attacks, obviously, in the year, but this one was something different. I had been to my doctor the week before um, to do with the strep, but she was like, Sinead, you're not coping. You know, you're not in a great place. Why don't we start you on these antidepressants and we'll see how you go. So I had never needed to take anything like that before. I'd never really looked into it, um, but I was very open to it because of where I was at at the time. So I said, yeah, I'm willing to try anything at this stage. So I had started taking them, I think, maybe on the Wednesday. So this is a Thursday. This is the following Monday, I'd gone into work and massive panic attack, but worse than I had ever experienced. Like, it just got worse and worse. Rang my GP and she said, Sinead, get out of there, get home and get into bed and don't take any more antidepressants. I think you're having a reaction to them. And I was like, oh, okay. So she said, look, just go home. Just explain to work that you're taking an annual leave day, go home, get into bed. So my manager came in and I, to this day, I just, I think only for him that day, I don't know where my life would have ended up. He just sat me down and he said, I don't want to see you for the rest of the week. Go and do whatever it is you need to do. Go and get drunk, go and lie down, go and have a spa week, whatever it is you need to do, Sinead, take the week and just mind yourself. He was like, I just, do you want me to drive you home? I was like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. So he was just amazing. It was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And if I hadn't told them that I wasn't okay, who knows yeah. what would have happened. It, it was, yeah, a week of recovery and trying to look after myself. And it was then my dad just said to me, Sinead, I think it's time you found a counsellor that you like going to. He was like, I'm really worried about you and... You're not coping. And I know you love to think you are, but you're not. And I think it's time. And it was so hard to hear. So I went online and I just looked up local counsellors in the area and found a woman who lived probably 35 steps from my parents' house. Right. But she was my lifesaver, Patricia McNabb. I, hi. Um, <laughs> she was just incredible. She's retired now. And, and again, she just helped me realise that every single thought that I was feeling or thinking was valid and it was okay and 
you know, the fact that my humour is probably a really good thing. It was almost like my antidepressant was to go and take the piss out of something and not to lighten it or to make it any less, but to lighten it for me in my head and my heart to try and just go, how ridiculous is this? If you don't laugh, you'll cry. You know, laugh, don't cry. So the, the talk therapy was the thing that sort of Incredible. did it for you. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's something I often say to people is if you can find a good therapist oh, gotcha. and you can you get stuck into talk therapy, there's nothing. You don't know so, how much you need it until you go. You don't, but but there's nothing yeah. you can't, it can't eventually fix or, absolutely. you know, wh- yeah. wherever you are. I mean, I mean, you were in the worst possible place. Yeah. You and know? I really was. Like, life was just shit. There was no other way to describe it. Like, we had no life insurance, so there was no, you know, looking for houses for me and Lily. It was all very much like, Jesus, I have to start all over again. Mm. I'm like, I wasn't high up where I worked. You know, I was on your very basic salary. Like, there was no hope that I was going to get a house in South Dublin. And, you know, moving further south or further wherever was moving me away from my support network. So that wasn't an option for me either. Like everyone's like, oh, you don't have to live in South Dublin. I was like, but I did need to live in South Dublin. I needed my friends and my parents and, you know, my brothers and sisters. I needed that support. So it wasn't an option for me to to do anything but live at home. And I think what people don't see when something like that happens, when when you lost Jeff, there is that, there's, there's you're grieving your, your husband um, and your best friend and all that kind of stuff. But then you've got the finances and, and as you talked about, like having to live with your parents and yeah. go back to work and you probably had to run a car and all that kind of stuff. And like the day... Everything fell on me all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And, and like... I, I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine coping if, if I lost yeah. my wife I couldn't imagine bothering to pay bills I couldn't imagine bothering to open any ma- like it's even it's still those it's, little things and they're little but they're huge, huge to the person that it's left to yeah you know um, and yeah like I suppose you just have to as I said like you just have to take it day by day and little by little things started to get easier I started to get stronger I suppose and Lily started to get a bit older. So you know yourself, mm. the newborn phase, like it's amazing, but it's bloody hard, hard work, yeah. you know. So she got a bit more crack and a bit more reactive with things. We kind of became little pals and life started to get a little bit easier. So yeah, I had played hockey in the UK. Hockey again became my therapy. I used to go down, and just, I just loved it. Um, So joined again after I had my surgery in the March and joined that September. So that became a really big thing for me as well to get out two nights a week for training and matches at the weekend. Um, And then one of my hockey pals from the UK was getting married um, in Italy and mum said, are you going to go? Like, it's one of the girls, you have to go. And I was like, I'm not going on my own. She was like, yeah, you are. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going on my own. And mum sat me down and she was like, I have Lily. So there's no bother with her. And she said, just go. And I went on my own. I flew to England first, I think, stayed in a flipping hotel by myself in England. <laughs> Never would have happened before. And then flew to Italy. I don't even know why I had to go two stops. Um, and yeah, I met Michael at the wedding. And this is t- late 2013. So two years after, two and a bit years after Jeff died. But I had known him from the hockey club in the UK. So I knew of him, but I'd never been introduced to him. Um, so yeah, two of us kind of I say hit it off it took me the entire night to get him to realise that I was interested (laughs) (laughs) my flirting skills clearly weren't what they used to be Um, but yeah so eventually we did back and forth and he moved to Ireland in 2015 Um, and we we broke up we got back together we killed each other we you know did what every other relationship does um, but decided then to cop onto ourselves and actually give it a bash so we decided then that I was kind of 36 and we tried for Dylan or try for a baby, the Dylan. 
And yeah, so Dylan arrived six weeks early the following January. We had literally just moved into the house in the late December and he arrived two weeks after we moved in. Uh, he was due in March, but arrived in January. And yeah, life just... Life just you just kind of, it started to... No, I still had my moments, don't course. get me wrong. Yeah, like, you, like, you know, you're living with grief. You're, you're living alongside it. It's, it's in your home. It's in your heart. It's everywhere you go. You know, your daughter is there asking a million questions as she gets older and you're trying to answer them in the best way you can. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a, a psychotherapist. I'm I'm just a mom trying to explain to my little baby girl why their daddy isn't around, you know. But there's a, there's that language that people use, like, you know, get over or move on. You move forward. Yeah, but... You just keep going forward. Yeah, just, like, yeah. yeah I think... I think people who use that kind of language have never really experienced great grief. Um, and it is the natural thing to be like, oh, you know, how did it feel to move on from Jeff? And I'm like, I never, I never really moved on. Mm. Like, he's still very much there. He still owns 50% of my heart. You know, Michael now takes up the other 50%. My heart's full again, but it's very much filled with everything that I've gone through. Um, and yeah, like, it, it, it just takes for you to, to take it really, really slowly. I think we expect so much of ourselves in the early days like I'm fine I'm grand it's such an Irish answer we were just talking about it there before we started like oh hey how are you today like I'm grand but you're not grand like answer them and tell them how you're feeling and I think one of the biggest things that I learned was to be open and honest with people and ask for help is one of my biggest things yeah. like if you're not coping people want to help you but they need to know that you're not coping like you know I could be walking out here now and not in a good place but I could be smiling so nobody knows that I'm not in a good place everyone thinks you're grand so just be honest with people I think as as people as humans we just need to be more open and talk more so with the uh, with the Instagram page and did, did was there a point where you started talking about uh, the loss and talking about Jeff and talking about grief and all that kind of stuff obviously people sort of uh, you were helping people was that a, a decision you made or how did that come about or what, when did you start talking about it and telling your story because clearly it's helpful I mean it, it's something that I think the reason we wanted to chat about it on the podcast was because it helps to talk yeah. about it it helps to hear from other people that have been through whatever it is especially death which we're terrible at talking about death and we don't want to we think it's never going to happen to us and, and, and it will we're uh, all dying, I tell you now. Um, and so 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 was there a decision or was there a time, was there a gradual thing where you just started to talk about it and, and sort of reach out and help people? Um, yeah, kind of. So I obviously Instagram wasn't really a thing whenever Jeff died. I actually wish it had been because I just find it amazing. Um, and then in 2019, um, I knew of Georgie Crawford quite, quite well. I knew her husband through hockey um, and she had the Good Glow podcast. So kind of connected and I said, look, if you'd be interested, I would love to chat to you about Jeff and about the whole experience of being widowed young. And she was like, Sinead, amazing. When can you come in? So I did that podcast with her um, in May 2019. And like, I couldn't get over the people that messaged me from us and just how it was received. It was just incredible. Um, and, you know, I gained a few followers on Instagram from it. And then people would kind of say, oh, look, I've told my best friend about you. Her husband's just died. And I had met a couple of widows like soon after Jeff died and we became the Merry Widows, the four of us. Um, so the importance of finding somebody, it's like your little tribe of people who nobody's story is the same. Like no two stories are identical, but you will find bits of the story that you can relate to and that you can find comfort in. 
And that's the key. You need to just find people and find in finding people, you know, you become more normal. You feel more normal. You don't feel as alone, but you have to talk to people to find those people. So um, the podcast was huge. And then I kind of started doing like little stories on Instagram that I'd not stories, but I'd go on my stories and talk about various different things. Um, and yeah, it didn't really take off until the first lockdown. And we decided to try for number three. Um, and we we had a hellish time trying to conceive number three. Uh, we had four miscarriages back to back. And I posted about my first one, which was very early on in the pregnancy, but it still was the most traumatic thing outside Jeff that I'd ever gone through. Um, and I spoke about it on Instagram. And when I tell you, all of a sudden I had a lot more followers on Instagram just from talking about it and from people going, oh my God, I went through exactly the same thing. It's so nice to know that I'm not alone. And now it's it's become a little tribe. Like my Instagram page, I feel like has just become like a little community of women and a few men as well who have lost partners or who their wife has gone through a miscarriage and they don't know how to help them. It's just been a lovely, 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 lovely space. Um, I've met so many incredible people through it as well. So it, it goes both ways. You know, I get so much out of my page and from people messaging me as well. And I'm able to message them and say, did this ever happen to you? Or did you ever feel like this? And it's just, it's just so lovely. It really mm. is. And I try to do lives with people, professionals and non-professionals, people that have gone through various different experiences um, and then professional people in their fields. And it, it's just all been received really amazingly. Like, I'm just really lucky to have such a lovely community on there. Yeah, but I think that, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of luck, but it's um, when you're vulnerable and when you're honest and when you talk about stuff openly, uh, you know, people are, are drawn to that and it, it, it honestly helps people. Um, and obviously talking, being so vulnerable and honest about your grief, uh, being able to talk about Jeff, being able to talk about your miscarriage, you know, that's what we need more of. You know, we, we sort of we sort of live in a society where things happen. And, and I know my own experience with my, my wife and we had miscarriages and you just didn't really tell anybody, you know. No, it's all very, but that um, the whole don't tell people until you're 12 weeks. Like a lot of miscarriages happen before that. Mm. So people don't even know that you're pregnant when it's happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my wife would have had miscarriages and we we carried on. We went to work. We you know, it wasn't treated as yeah. a thing. And, you know, I'd say, uh, you know, I was probably as naive as anybody else in, in how it should have been treated. And, and uh, it's only when when we heard other people talking about it and she was able to talk about it and then we were able to sit down and talk about it. Yeah. And that's why it's great and that's why it's help, it's helpful and that's why it's good to be vulnerable. And if you can, to be able to talk about these things. So, look, thank you very much. Um, if anybody's listening to this and, and it's it the, the podcast is called I'll Start Monday. If there is anyone listening to this that kind of feels like um, a bit lost and maybe where you are sort of a year in like what what could they do starting Monday or you know in the near future to kind of I mean I feel like you're going to say something like talk therapy or you know but well that's one absolutely Um, I think I know there's no quick fix but there's you know. not and I think a lot of people are so afraid to open up to a total stranger as well which is very that's okay you know Um, so I think for yourself before if you're not ready to to find your person that you can go to regularly and just unload is what I would call it. Um, my biggest thing was making my bed. I know it sounds so ridiculous. So like there was days that I achieved nothing and I mean nothing. But I would go back upstairs and I'd walk into my room and go, I did achieve something today. I made my bloody bed like that. That's big. You know, I got up and I actually actively did something. Um, and I started 
to like even now if I haven't got I'm going Jesus did I make it today um, even now I have to get up the bed has to be made like and it it's getting you out of bed for starters that's the first thing you're doing is getting out of bed I find it just so important I know people would love to have duvet days it's not healthy to have too many obviously have a couple if you need them um, but get up and make your bed and that is that's one thing that you've achieved in that day and then the next day make your bed and then have a shower and little by little don't try and conquer everything at the same time because you won't be able to you'll get overwhelmed and that's when we need more help you know don't let it get that bad start mm. tiny baby steps minute by minute hour by hour day by day don't try and conquer the world in a day just mind yourself and take it slowly I have this lovely poem that I'd love to read out to anybody who is struggling um, I have read this I don't know how many times I share it every so often on Instagram as well so I'll hope to get through it without crying because I love it so much Um. It's called The Mountain and it's by Laura Ding Edwards if you want to follow her on Instagram. Um, If the mountain seems too big today, then climb a hill instead. If the morning brings you sadness, it's okay to stay in bed. If the day ahead weighs heavy on your plan and your plans feel like a curse, there's no shame in rearranging. Don't make yourself feel worse. If a shower stings like needles and a bath feels like you'll drown. If you haven't washed your hair for days, don't throw away your crown. A day is not a lifetime. A rest is not defeat. Don't think of it as failure, just a quiet, kind retreat. It's okay to take a moment from an anxious, fractured mind. The world will not stop turning while you get realigned. The mountain will still be there when you want to try again. You can climb it in your own time. Just love yourself till then. Jesus, I'm not able for it. (laughs) I love it. I do love it. And I know it's emotional and everything, but I just think when you're reading it you can relate to so much in it even one sentence of it you're like oh my god I feel like that today and it's just so true just love yourself until you're ready to to go again mm. yeah and and make your bed make and your bed from there. I like that because we, we do talk about uh, we've talked about it on other episodes the, the motivation comes after the the action you know and absolutely I think that that's that's a really good thing if you do one thing just make your bed little achievements um, Sinead we'll leave it there thank you very much thank for you talking so much for today. having me I really appreciate it because I know it's a lot so thank you very much thanks every day in Ireland more than 200 people give up smoking and with Nicorette you could join them join the quitters with Nicorette clinically proven to help you quit for good based on Healthy Ireland 2021 Nicorette contains nicotine stop smoking aid requires willpower always read the label